You're listening to the Home Staging Show podcast. I'm your host Nilin. This is a show where we talk about all things real estate, home staging, and how to create a vibrant and thriving home staging business. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 151. Hey guys, as you know, Seventeen Hats was our main sponsor at SagerCon 2021. We recommend Seventeen Hats because it was a critical part of our home staging business and free us up from lots of paperwork, admin, and chasing clients with emails. So that we can focus on what we love to do, which is staging. If you're like us, you probably didn't go into the business for the paperwork. You know, all those invoices, emails, reminders, to dos, and just the incessant chasing after client for paperwork. So that's where Seventeen Hats comes in for us. It's like you cloned yourself. Their all-in-one platform automates your staging business. Seventeen Hats handles the tedious stuff like payment reminders, capturing leads, proposal invoicing, and even scheduling. We actually created a resource guide for you on our site. Just go to sagerumor.com/slash-seventeen-hats and find out more about how we use Seventeen Hats in our home staging business. If you're a current Seventeen Hats user, we would love to hear about your story too. You can submit your Seventeen Hats story on our site at sagerumor.com/slash-seventeen-hats. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the Home Saging Show. So, just a quick reminder: our monthly saging challenge that deadline is coming up soon. It's ending in a couple days. So, if you have not entered yet, make sure you enter your entry right now.、Uh, you can go to sagingawards.com/challenge to look up this month's challenge and also how to enter if you haven't done it before. We'll also remind you that on our Instagram as well. You can also go to our Instagram at instagram.com/sageformore and then click on the link in bio, and it will have all the links there. I also want to remind you that we are having a series of online workshops. That's going to be really great. We designed these to be interactive, so you can ask questions live and get live feedback about your work. So we have four plans so far for the end of March and April. So we got Andrea teaching virtual staging consultation. Andrea is actually she was a student of ours in the six figure four plan course, and she actually was a stager in house stager for our top producing team in Virginia. And so, as part of their package, basically every time someone book a listing with them, they include a staging consultation. So Andrea has done thousands of in-person staging consultation. And after COVID and experiencing lockdown, she started changing her business model. So during this time, Andrea beforehand she had moved to a different state. She moved to Philly. And then she started her own home staging business, and she still kept doing staging consultation. And so, because of COVID, she started experimenting with virtual staging consultation. So this workshop is kind of her result of finding it and how to fine tune it as well. So she's going to break down everything for you and how can you use a virtual staging consultation or an in person staging consultation, and essentially use that as a gateway to help you upgrade and upsell into other staging service and design service as well. So I think it's going to be a really juicy workshop that is coming up on March 29th. So if you haven't registered yet, make sure you register on our website. You can go to stagemore.com/workshops to see other workshops that are coming up as well. So in April, the first week on the fifth, we're gonna have Ali doing a legal clinic. So I know it is really difficult sometimes or really expensive sometimes to find a small business attorney to ask questions about your home staging contract. 
Well, this is a chance to do that at a fraction of the cost. So Ali's going to do a live Q&A. You can come on the Q&A and ask any questions you may have about running your home staging business and operating your home staging business on the legal side of things. One of the disclaimer for this particular Q&A is that because Ali is based in the States. So if you're outside of the States, you're a listener in the UK or in Italy or Canada, unfortunately, Ali will not be able to answer your question. So this is really more for stagers who are based in the States. I'm also going to teach you a live workshop in terms of how to talk about your home staging business to attract home staging clients. So we're going to talk about kind of the networking scenario and then also the marketing presentation scenario. So let's say you're doing a seller seminar or you are going to a real estate office to do a presentation. How do you do the sales without coming across salesy? How do you structure your presentation? How do you introduce yourself to make sure you're memorable, not like any other stager down the street? And then also how to follow up afterward to keep continuing that relationship organically. And then last week of April, we're going to have Galen coming in. Galen is a really good friend of mine. You might remember her if you went to SageRCon 2020. She was basically the crowd favorite. She has a really great way of breaking down really technical things into very simple terms to understand. And Galen is also a Squarespace designer. So you can come on the workshop and actually get live feedback about your website and then we can work on your website during a workshop as well. So I think these four shops are great. They're a really fantastic topic. We have more coming up. We have Daniel, who's done a community talk, and also last week's podcast episode. Daniel is going to be teaching about workflow in May, and we have other speakers lined up as well. So definitely, if you're interested, go to sagemore.com workshops, and then check out the lineup, and then register. Lastly, the stage two of our certification program is open right now. And this stage, unlike the stage one, where you can start from the very beginning, this stage, this next four months from April through July, is really for those stagers who've been working for a while, was at least made $10,000 in their staging business with paying clients. And this is really a part of the program where we work on the systems of your home staging business. So essentially, we're going to pull your staging business apart. We're going to look at all your workflow, your templates, where some of the places are not very efficient, where some of the things that you're experiencing bottleneck or challenges that you feel like you cannot resolve or you're stuck, your revenue is not growing. These four months are the time that we're looking at. So essentially, we're going to be pulling your business apart and help you put it back together with a very sound business plan to move forward. So we're going to talk about future-proofing your business. We're going to talk about possible expansion of your business. We're going to talk about what are some of the existing problems within your business right now. And every week, there's also going to be a one-on-one coaching call with me or Kristen, who is the teacher assistant, our TA on this program. Kristen, if you attend the SagerCon 2021, you might remember her. She is a broker with Compass in Philly, and she has 18 agents under her that she oversees. And she also owns a staging business with two other partners. So I think that makes the program a little bit more special because you get a different perspective from a working stager and a real estate agent as well. So yeah, so we got lots going on this month. If you're on our newsletter, you probably got a newsletter about it already last Friday about all the events that are happening. We're also going to be announcing things on Instagram. So if you haven't followed us on Instagram as well, just follow us there or just sign up for our newsletter. We're going to remind you with all these different events. All right. 
So without further ado, let's talk about today's podcast. So today I have Ashley Garland on the show, and she's an amazing small business coach where she helps business owners to set a time freedom goal for their business and identify the shifts and solution that will help them achieve it so that they can make time for what's the most important part in their business and their life as well. This is why I really was attracted to Ashley because I really think that as you grow your business, time becomes a very valuable resource because not only you need to multiply time, you need to create more time in your business, obviously by hiring people or by automating things, by leveraging technology. You also need to make sure that you, the business owner, is taken care of. So Ashley is all about taking that subtractive approach to business and finding ways to do less but better. And not so that her clients can be more productive, but rather to say that they can live more rich, fulfilling lives. Ashley is also the host of the Better Than Big podcast, where she talks with small business owners about strategies, shift, solutions that help them create more time, freedom, and flexibility in their own businesses. Ashley runs her sustainable coaching practice in 25 hours or less a week leaving her plenty of time to enjoy what's most important to her, including long trail runs, good books, and also lots of family time. I think this is a really important topic to talk about because I think we are kind of burnt out from the hustle culture. And I think if anything COVID has taught us, it kind of helped us reconnect with our families. Well, we're kind of forced to, but yeah, basically that's what happened. But I think a lot of us realized that we were spending too much time at work or we're running around like chicken with the heads cut off. We're just not really fully maximizing our productivity or maximizing our time at work. And it bleeds into sacrificing our own family and personal time. So I think this is a really apt topic to discuss right now. And then also I feel like as a business owner, we really need to leverage strategies like this to help us to create more time and also really build a fulfilling business, not only for ourselves, but also for our personal goals as well. All right. So this is the show today. I'm really excited about this episode and I can't wait to hear what you think. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to pop it in the show notes and I will see you soon. Hi, Ashley. Welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Before we get started today, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and also your business? Yeah. So I'm a business coach and I work with service-based business owners to help them create more time freedom in their business. My clients have typically seen some level of success in their business and they're now asking themselves, how can they create more freedom and flexibility in their days and their weeks and their years so that they can have space for what matters most to them? And the way that I do that is I work with them to simplify and streamline various areas of their business tends to end up being their services, their systems, their team, their schedule, and and usually their personal habits too. That sounds amazing. So how did you get into this line of work? So definitely a long and roundabout way. I started off as a business owner myself straight out of college and ran a freelance writing and editing business where I dabbled in a lot of different things. And then about eight years in, felt like I'd done what I wanted to do in that industry and got into coaching. And it took a while for me to see what type of coaching 
was right for me and what kind of differentiated me from other coaches. You know, a lot of business coaching focuses on scaling and growth and, you know, building the million dollar empire. And that's just not what I'm about. And it's not what my clients are interested in. And so it took me a while to figure out that time freedom is more the currency that I'm helping my clients create from there, just about leaning into that work. I love that. And I think one of the things I really love about your business, now that I know you used to do writing, I think it really shows because you have a very clear vision. I think that is coming across through your website in terms of what you're helping your clients to do, which is, I think, very rare in the business coaching space because most business coaching, like you said, really focus on scaling or making more money. It's not really looking at business growth from a holistic point of view, which ultimately we start businesses because we want to feel fulfilled while making some money, right? But at the same time, really make that work with our ideal lifestyle as well. Yeah. And we sometimes kind of lose sight of that. I think there's a lot in both of the industries when I was in, you know, as a freelance writer and then as a coach, when I first got started, there's a lot of noise out there, you know, especially if you're on social media, if you're in networking groups, you know, and you're just consuming a lot of things. And what can happen is it sometimes skews your own definition of success and you start building a business based on what other people want and value versus what you want. And I just find that most of my clients kind of go through this trajectory that I also went through of here's what success looks like. I'm going to strive for that. And then I got there, I got close and I don't actually value this or want this. And that's when they start inviting themselves to start breaking down default models and asking what would my business look like if it matched my version of success and provided me with the fulfilling work I want and the time freedom that I want too. Yeah. And also, especially I think after COVID with that long period of lockdown, I think a lot of people have start reevaluating what it really means to work for themselves. Like what are they doing with their work, whether they're working for themselves or for other people. And I do think there is a fairly toxic work culture before COVID in a way that we always have to be busy. We have to be hustling. And honestly, I'm not a fan of it because I do think there is being busy, but there's also being productive. And both things are actually very different. And also, I think being busy and having the stigma of it, you know, we almost wear like a badge, I feel like, in America. And I think that is a really big cause of people getting burned out to the point that where they're just like, I'm just going to give up on my business because I can't deal with it anymore. So this is something I also actually struggle with myself. Also, I think it's really hard because when you're really focusing on building your business, sometimes you do lose sight about your own self-care. So how can we build in more sustainability in our businesses? Yeah, I think it's exactly what you're saying there about it looking more holistic than just one thing. So that's one piece. And then the other piece is like the badge of busy, right? Like we are very much trained to say, I'm so busy with all these things. I'm doing so many things. And there's a level of kind of ego that feeds into that, right? And we get great feedback for that. And remember when I started really looking at running a simpler business, I remember showing up to calls with people and just chatting and they were like, what's new? What's exciting? What are you up to? How are you scaling? And saying like, I'm choosing to just rinse and repeat and it's really working for me and it's making all these things possible in my life. And the feedback I got wasn't judgment, but was actually accolades of like, oh, I wish I could do that. I wish I could just have a boring business that provided me with amazing work, but also a lot of time freedom in my life. So I think you know, I share that story to say like, it is more holistic, right? There are multiple facets and that what you really want to be looking at is that intersection of like, well, how can I do fulfilling work 
and make a sustainable living and enjoy a rich, fulfilling life. Like it's a puzzle to put together and there's a way to do it for everybody, but you've got to take all those pieces into account if you want it to end up in a way that supports you. Yeah, I'm really glad that you start mentioning about the finding our own definition of success because I think that is very important. And I made this crucial mistake as well. I think early on in my business building phase, I was really focusing on driving the revenue. And I also think that is kind of the traditional way of teaching how to run a business, right? It's it's always about the revenue. We don't really talk about actually things like profitability or self-care or mental health and stuff like that. And it wasn't until I got business coaching, I kind of realized that I was actually chasing the wrong things in my business. Like what I was chasing, which is the revenue, really wasn't making me happy. And by not hitting the revenue or being where I'm supposed to be, quote unquote, I got really depressed because I feel ashamed that I wasn't hitting what the success definition I thought it was. Until I got the clarity that I actually don't want a big business. I want a very lean and very operational business that is very flexible immediately my business shifted. Like we hit six figure basically within a couple months. Mm -hmm. So it has made a huge shift in my own mentality. So for you, when you're working with your clients, how do you help them find that clarity and really define what does a success look like for them? Yeah, I think it is very, very important to take it back to yourself. And like we were talking about earlier, like very easy to get kind of wrapped up in other people's definition of success. So one of the things that I think is really, really important is to first broaden your definition of success beyond the metrics. So money, followers, you know, whatever those things are, press mentions, like whatever those things are, I don't want to gloss over the fact that those things are important. You need money to survive in business. You know, you need to have a revenue, you need to have an audience and stuff. But sometimes we get so wrapped up in those and trying to reach a level that's not sustainable or necessary for our business. And that's when we start to sacrifice our own personal well-being and time. And so what you really want to do is ask yourself, what is your definition of enough? And that is something I get my clients to do all the time. Like, yes, we hear people say we want to make six figures. Yes, we hear people say, now let's do the million dollar business. But is that really what you want? And is that going to support the goals that you have? Like, where are you on the spectrum? So that's the first thing that I have my clients do is let's figure out what's enough for you in terms of finances and also what's enough for you in terms of like time worked. That's another component of this is how much do you want to work? Do you want to work 20 hours a week? Do you want to work three weeks on, one week off and figuring out like what that definition of success is going to look like too. And then we want to start looking at how those things intersect and how you can build a business that allows you to achieve both of those definitions. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is context, right? So while we're setting these goals, what is the larger context? So let's say I want a six-figure business. That can actually have a range already. Do you want to be a low six-figure? You want to mid six-figure, like half a million? Or you want to be like super high six-figure? That's basically seven-figure, right? So that could look like a few different things for everyone. And the other thing too is that, okay, so if you want a business that has a quarter million dollar revenue per year, let's say, why do you want that? Why that amount, right? Like, what does that help you achieve in your business? Does that mean a bigger warehouse, for example, for stagers, more money to play with in terms of bigger budget, have a staging project, better inventory, a bigger team, trucks, and all that. So I think that context around that goal is very important. Yeah, 100%. It is very important for you to figure out what it's going to do for you too. And I know most of our listeners are solopreneurs. So it's really a one-woman show or one-man show. 
And overwhelm does happen a lot simply because there's so much to do in building a business. So how do we deal with overwhelm when that happens? I think overwhelm is definitely an emotion that a lot of business owners feel, especially in this last season where we were also wearing a lot of their hats in our personal lives. And so I don't want to say it's not going to happen ever. My clients still feel it from time to time. But when you do see it, see it as a sign that something needs to change. And that's where I generally work with my clients to just ask a lot of questions, to explore what's going on and to start looking at where some of the places where we have an opportunity to decrease the overwhelm and create more spaciousness and time freedom. So some of the questions I might ask are like, what can you do less of? Or what could you pause for the time being? You know, there are often things that feel urgent to my clients, but actually don't need to get done for like six weeks. And they feel like it needs to get done today and they're creating the overwhelm for themselves. So we might look at where we can expand those timelines, what we could pause on, or simply maybe they do a lot of something that they could do a little less of, and that can reduce the overwhelm. I also like to ask, what can you pass off? Like you said, a lot of business owners are solopreneurs. They are one man or one woman shows. And I have certainly been there in my businesses too. And having support in place, whether it's delegating to a contractor, bringing on team member, or delegating something in your personal life too, just to free up some of that time and space for you. That can be another opportunity. And then finally, my favorite question to ask in pretty much every context is what would this look like if I let it be easy? Because most business owners and especially high achievers and overthinkers, which are kind of the people that I work with and definitely how I operate too, overcomplicate things unnecessarily. And so if you ask yourself, what would this look like if I let it be easy? Or you could say, let it be simple. Your brain will generally respond with a really helpful bit of information of how you might do something in a simpler way. Whether you choose to run with that or not is up to you. But once you have the answer, you can see, okay, this could be done much more efficiently or effectively. And I have a choice to do it that way, which will decrease my overwhelm. That's so fascinating. So what are some of the examples of us overcomplicating matters? Well, I'll give my example. Like I launched a podcast about a year ago and there are so many podcasts out there that you can listen to and, you know, model your show after and so many bells and whistles that you can put into your show. And so I definitely kind of went down that track of overthinking it, trying to over-research it instead of just asking, how do I want to do this? And so when I asked myself, what would this look like if I let it be easy, the structure for the show came into play really quickly and I didn't have to go out there and do a bunch more research. I could just say, this is what I want my show to look like. And actually most beneficial thing for me and my listeners I learned was a very simple structure, not something with all the bells and whistles. And so it made it so much easier for me to produce and so much more enjoyable, made it a great listening experience for my listeners from what they've told me. And my team regularly reaches out and says, your podcast is so easy to produce. Like, why is that? And that's the reason as we ask, like, what if we let this be easy? Yeah. And I think having that clarity too really helps because then you know what you want to do and what you want the vision and the result to look like. And I definitely think perfectionism, which happens a lot, I think, especially for entrepreneurs and small business owners, is quite detrimental. And I'm guilty of this as well. I do this all the time, unfortunately. Instead of delegating things to my assistant, and I feel like, well, she's not going to do it as perfect as I would. So I end up doing it myself. So when I should have been focusing on the higher level of things in the business, right, which is developing more courses and, you know, establishing collaboration, that kind of thing. So how can we get out of that perfectionism and really focus on what's the task at hand? Yeah. So I actually have kind of a different take on this that I don't think perfectionists have to let go of perfectionism entirely. 
What I really invite my clients to do is consider where it's helpful for them to be perfectionists or if they want to say necessary and where in their business they could let things go a little bit and do maybe like B-level work, right? Which for most of my clients ends up looking like A-plus level work still because they were already overachieving in such a strong way. But I think like there are places in our business where we are going to want to be perfectionistic about it. You know, like I'm very much a perfectionist with my client work. Like I really want to show up. I really want to show up prepared. I really want to support my clients. I like that with my content. Like it's very important to me as a former writer to put out really good content. However, when it comes to things like social media, I'm not as perfectionistic about how I show up on Instagram stories or something to that effect. So I can do B-level work there, which frees me up to do, like you said, the high-level work. And this is something I just really encourage my clients to do all the time. Where does it make sense for you to show up and really go all in? And where can you carve out a little bit more time and space and get rid of some of that pressure for yourself? And there's spaces in every business where you can pick and choose. I love that actually, because you kind of reframe it in a very healthy and positive way. So we're not always, because I definitely feel guilty sometimes. I'm like, why am I being so perfectionist about it? Because we're actually stopping things from moving forward and I beat myself over it. So I actually love that kind of reframe of that mindset in terms of actually focusing on what needs to be perfect, right? And then also the B-level work to prevent. There's one other thing that's really helpful with my clients for this too, is kind of looking at things as version like 1.0 and version 2.0, because sometimes we can try and get things to be perfect right out of the gate. And this happens a lot with like services, like people won't launch a service or offer a new product until it's perfect when it would actually serve them better to get it close to perfect and launch it and do version 1.0 and then iterate. Same might be true for like a website or if you're starting to, you know, pitch for publicity, it might not serve you to really go for perfection because you might never actually do the thing. But if you could say this is version 1.0 and I'm going to iterate on it and get better over time. And the way I'm going to do that is by getting something out there that can also help curb the perfectionism. Yeah. And I also think sometimes it's letting go, right? The process of letting go and also getting feedback. Because I think, like you said, a lot of things that we think is B-level, but to our audience, maybe it looks like completely A-plus level. Mm -hmm. And they didn't realize that for us, that's not perfect yet. This just reminds me of my old boss at Anthropology, actually, because I used to freelance doing visual. And at Enthro, they definitely over-demand in terms of what we need to do. And my boss is always like, you know what? There's always more work. So we just need to get this out in a perfect enough way, and then we can move on. And that's it. And then we get feedback from customers like, oh, that display is not cute or whatever, then we tweak it. But we never hear that. That's the thing. Every time people walk by, oh my God, I can't believe they made this out of tissue paper. Things like that. Yeah, I like that phrase, perfect enough. Yeah, (laughs) it's perfect enough to ship it. So let's just make it happen. And I think about that a lot actually in running businesses because there are definitely things that we always think is not perfect enough and we drive ourselves nuts and never take more action forward because of that. Yeah. And if you're worried about it, be transparent about it. You know, when it comes to services, for example, if you're trying something new, it's okay to let people know, like, it's okay to say, this is a beta offer that I'm doing. And, you know, maybe you're moving into more of the education space in the staging market. And you're like, we're testing this out as a group program. This is the first time we're doing it. You can alert people to the fact that you're still iterating on it while still doing the thing. Yeah. And I also think in today, business is not as clear cut as it used to be, you know, like, I remember watching Sex in the City <laughs> back in the day. I remember like Samantha was like, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. Because it was like a very full 
pausing to cry at a workplace. And I think now it's actually okay to be vulnerable, to be transparent about the struggle you also have as a business owner. Obviously not to the point where your client feels absolutely no confidence in your work, but I think it is okay to be a vulnerable sometime and just be very upfront. Like we're testing this out. Definitely let us know how you like it. Maybe it's a different way of approaching staging or you're experimenting with new inventory vendor, that kind of thing. I think there is space to have that open dialogue with a client. Yeah, I completely agree. And so one of the things we'll be talking about is finding more time. How can we find more time in our businesses? You know, a while back I was chatting with someone and they were, I was kind of telling them about my approach to business. And she said, it sounds like you take a subtractive approach. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's so true. And I've never phrased it that way. But I think as business owners, our tendency is to add more and more and more. You know, if we want to fix something, we're going to add something else. If we want to grow, we're going to add something else. If we want to free up our time, we're going to try and add something else. And I really invite people to take a subtractive approach because usually the reason we don't have enough time is that we're doing too many things. And if we can start to ask, what can you scale back on or do less of? Again, like you're going to immediately create more time for yourself, whether that's 30 minutes a week or an entire week of the month. I've seen really amazing things happen for my clients. So tangible examples, a lot of people are overdoing it with marketing, to be quite honest. Like they're trying to be everywhere when they could rely on a couple of marketing channels or a couple of, you know, marketing strategies and they would be good to go because they're clear on their definition of enough too. You know, they know exactly what they need to do in order to reach that. So they could scale back on that and have immediately more time in their business. Or a lot of people are offering, you know, four or five, six, seven services and they strongly dislike two of them because they know they aren't that profitable. They aren't that sustainable. They're a complete drain on their time. I've had multiple clients this year let go of a service and only focus on the ones that really work for them. And they have experienced way more time freedom. One client was able to take two months off this year because she let go of a service and they didn't not grow. Like they either maintained their growth or in a couple of the cases, they saw more growth because of it. So they got more time and they got more growth because they were willing to let something go. And I think that's an absolute win-win. Yeah, I agree with that too, because we did that toward the end of our operation. And we just did not work with any homeowner who were still living in the home while the staging is going on. We found out it was too disruptive to our workflow. We much prefer and streamline because we got bacon staging nailed. As a system and workflow, our team already know how to handle, you know, we have a very specific niche in the Bay Area and that made our business operation very smooth. And when we do things outside of that, it kind of disrupt the workflow a bit. And so things get slowed down and it kind of sometimes even create a clog inside a system. And we also did the math. We just get higher profit margin on things we do very well. And so I actually just tell my client, I'm a one-trick pony. So if you want to do vacant staging in this person neighborhood, I'm your girl. But everything else, I will happy to refer you to another stager who is really good at that. But that's not my strength. If you really want to use this, we can talk about it. But ultimately, I prefer to refer that type of work to someone else who is really good at that. Mm -hmm. And I imagine it freed up your time too. Yeah, it made me so much more happy because we were streamlined to the point where we will wrap a job around three o'clock and I can be home with my dog eating chocolate, sitting on the couch watching Netflix. And so we had it down to a system to a point where our movers come in, they know exactly where we store things, they even remind me things like, hey, do we need to bring this XYZ today? 
Whereas when we do an Occupy staging project, there was a lot of different things we need to take in consideration. Chances are we have to match to whatever the homeowner's architecture style or like their stuff in their house. If they haven't moved in the last 20 years, it's really hard to match that. And so then we have to tweak our inventory. We might have to buy new things. And it kind of disrupts our workflow because whatever we buy to fit that job, it's not going to fit with the rest of our inventory. So that became a very clear, distinct choice that we had to make to just completely cut that out of our business. Yeah. And I will speak to the fact that when my clients have done that, and I'd be curious to hear what your experience was like too, it's been scary, right? Letting go of a revenue stream is scary. But when you look at it and you can see that this one type of service is taking us 10 times as long as the other services, and it's really preventing us from doing things like sitting on the couch and watching Netflix and enjoying time with our dog. And I think those things are well worth creating space for. Then you really have to think like, is it worth it to keep doing it? And if you can kind of see the writing on the wall and you can see like, this would be a good thing to let go of, I would encourage business owners to try it. Like sometimes just cutting it out and being like, we're never doing this again feels too intense. But if you can say for the next three months or the next year, however long you want the season to be, we're going to try pausing on this service. We're just not going to take any more of this type of work. And we're going to see what happens revenue-wise, time-wise, system-wise, you know, work-wise. We're going to see what happens when we do that. When my clients have done that, it's been so good across the board for them. Yeah. And like you said, it's the writing on the wall. It's not like one day you wake up, you're like, I need to stop doing this. Sometimes it might be the scenario, but I think ultimately, like, for example, we actually dumped this client who accounted for 40% of our revenue, which was really scary. The thing is the working relationship became toxic. I'm not sure what exactly went wrong, but I think what happened was the client got a little bit complacent or they just got super busy. They felt like and also we work together for so long, they feel like they didn't have to follow our professional policy anymore to the point where bills are not paid. We have to constantly chase them for paperwork, creates a lot of more like animosity in a way. And it would just become a very toxic relationship. And also the way he starts talking to us, it was, I don't know what happened exactly, to be honest, but it just felt like it was not the right relationship to be in anymore. Just like a breakup. And the thing is, as a business owner, I recognize that that is coming down the line. At some point, we need to sever that relationship, right? We have a talk first, we're going to work it out. If not, then we just part ways very amicably. It's a small environment, you know, a small market. Like we don't want to piss anybody off. But the thing is, as a business owner, I recognize that we need to divorce that client sooner or later. So we need to start feeling that 40%. And also, I think that is a scary thing when you're a service-based business. You rely so heavily on one particular client. And I think that's why we also need to figure out how to diversify in terms of not necessarily the service offering, but just the source of our income. Because I think it is scary. I've seen stagers working for a large brokerage in town, and they're like 100% of the revenue. And then one day, the brokerage decided to change their business model, and they basically just remove that stager from their team because they want to now do it in-house. You know, they see how they do it, they figure it out. And so they want to do it in-house. It sounds very cool, but it really sucked for that stager because all of a sudden they need to go out there and then start looking for new work. Because all the time, they've just been with that one client. Yeah, I think the diversification piece and the way that you're talking about it here is really important that it's not just different revenue streams, but maybe a couple of different marketing activities, a couple of different referral sources. And again, it doesn't have to be 
massive amounts of those things, it matches your definition of enough. That's definitely an important piece to look at. And the other thing I wanted to say is like, when you're looking at making these changes, especially like letting go of something, the suggestion to extend your timeline really applies here. Like you said, you saw the writing on the wall with the client you were going to need to divorce and you didn't say, okay, let's fill that revenue gap in one week and let's really stress ourselves out doing it. You like looked at, okay, we want to do this in the near future. And so an ongoing goal for us as a business is going to be to replace that revenue. I think that is a really, really clear cut way to stay out of overwhelm is to make sure you're giving yourself the actual time and space things need to happen. Yeah. And also I always say, you know, the firewall, right? It's a way of protecting yourself. And so we had to put up certain firewall in our business to make sure that we can do that in a very healthy and sustainable way. And I think a lot, especially for solopreneurs, sometimes it's actually very difficult to accept help or to ask for help. Maybe we simply don't know how to ask for that. Do you have any strategies in around this piece? Yeah. I mean, it is so challenging, right? Because it's like our business is our baby. And quite often we're the person who is in charge of everything and who retains all the like institutional knowledge. And just, we know how things are done and we know how we want them to be done. What I think is really helpful here before you go into what should I outsource? What should I get help with? Is to figure out what it's costing you. I find that for my clients, it's much easier for them to pass something off when they understand what they're giving up if they don't. So if you can say, okay, the fact that you're doing all of the things is why you're working 60 hours a week and you don't have any help. If you want to work 40 hours a week, we've got to change that. Or it's costing you your sanity because you're in charge of things that you have no business doing and that really stress you out. Once you can do that, then the motivation is much, much clearer for getting help. And then from there, what I like to have my clients do is an exercise I call the task audit. And any of your listeners are welcome to you know message me on Instagram if they want this. It's just a simple workbook. But what you do is you write down everything you, you do in your business. And this list may go on for pages because a lot of people are wearing a lot of hats and doing a lot of things. On that list, I want people looking at what energizes them and what are the things that only they can do, which tend to be generally in the same category, and also what drains them. And that what drains them list is where we can start to see what are some things that you could pass off and get off your plate here. So for me, when I did this in my business, I realized that two big areas for me that are not strengths are design. I care about good design, but if I do it myself, it will take hours and hours and hours because of the perfectionism and also tech stuff. Like I'm not someone who's super tech savvy in terms of, you know, setting up email automations and those types of things. So once I saw that on my list, I could very quickly decide what to hire for and whether it's a one-off thing, which I did quite early on is just passing off project-based work and that freed up time and then bringing people on for those things on an ongoing basis. And what that does is it helps me, for me, the cost of not doing that was the actual time. You know, I was able to work a 20 hour a week because I had help with these other things. If I don't have help with those other things, it's costing me that time. Yeah. I do think that it is really difficult because a lot of times I feel like the decision for a business owner, a lot of it is trade-off, isn't it? Especially for service-based business owner, because we're essentially trading money with our time. And so if I simply don't have enough time in my schedule, I cannot fulfill work for my client. So that means I don't have any income. So that becomes very challenging in a way is that in order for us to scale our business, we must add more time. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that could be delegating, hiring someone to come in to you know, help you stage houses perhaps, or just simply taking admin off your hands. Yeah, I'm guessing that those are kind of the two big areas for your audience is, can you get help with that 
kind of project management, communication, admin sign of things so that you can focus on what you do best or day of, can you get some help so that that project takes you less time when you're there? Exactly. And what are some other tools can we implement to simplify our business operations and become more streamlined as well? You know, as I just said, I'm pretty low tech. So while I think there are like lots of great options, I run a lot of my business out of spreadsheets. And one of the ways that I really helped my business become more streamlined was just by asking what's living in my head, because it's very hard to remember all the things. And how can I use a system, you know, a tool, in my case, a spreadsheet to help me remember to do those things and automate those things. So I use a spreadsheet to manage my client capacity so that I can see at any given moment when I have openings coming up that I'll want to fill or when someone's wrapping up and I do, I need to have a continuing client conversation. I use spreadsheets to track high-level metrics in my business, like revenue, publicity appearances, like the things that I know are really important to keep an eye on. And then I just keep track of week to week. I use the spreadsheet to run my podcast. Like there's just so many different things. I imagine your audience could use it for inventory or the client capacity spreadsheet can be really helpful in making sure you don't overbook yourself. So it's just, for me, I could have done those things inside of a CRM or I could have set up some sort of fancy other systems for them that involved a lot of tech, but I knew myself. And so I went with basic and the spreadsheets have been really, really helpful. And a lot of my clients have copied and pasted and made them their own and identified that the needs in their business and plugged them in there. Yeah. I also think sometimes you just have to find the solution that worked for you. So maybe someone is really good with a fancy CRM software, but if Excel spreadsheet works for you, then that's perfect. And actually, we had a student coach in our business a few months ago, actually. And one of the things he talked about was they ran a seven-figure business off spreadsheets, essentially. They had a staging business that was grossing seven-figure a year. And he just used spreadsheet to keep track of the clients, all the data, you know, scheduling as well, essentially just run their business off spreadsheet, which is, I think, very impressive. But also it's helpful to hear that because people seem we need to invest in a fancy system, but ultimately it's just something that works for you, really. Yeah. I think there's a difference between a fancy system or an expensive system, right? And a system that works for you, which may be the fancy system if that's what works for your brain. But my clients use all different types of project management tools. Some use spreadsheets, some use docs, some use some systems on pencil and paper because that's what works for their brain. I think it's really important to seek ideas from other people. You know, if you know there's an area of your business where there's a bottleneck or where things just feel a little bit messy and out of sorts, ask some peers like, hey, I'm having trouble organizing this thing. What do you use to keep this part of your business organized? And then you can see how they're using it and then absolutely make it your own. Like my clients who adopt my spreadsheets, you know, when I see them, I'm like, oh, that looks a little bit differently than how I use it. And as it should, because then it will work for them and their team. I think so as well. And I know you have an audio course and I love the name of it, which is Do Less, Look More. And it seems like it's a really mission impossible for most service-based owners. How can we accomplish this? Yeah. So the name of the course, you know, I hesitated because it sounds a little lazy, right? Like do less and we'll live more. We're just going to kind of kick up our feet. But I wanted to imply that that's possible for business owners and to show them that within this course, there's 15 short audio lessons that talk about ways that you can do that. And the reason I did this course is because I see my work as having kind of two buckets. There's the structural buckets, like the services, the systems, the foundational elements in your business, the team, that definitely impacts your ability to have the life-giving business and experience time freedom. And also when I looked at my client work, when I 
first started this course, I'm like, you know, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about is personal habits and mindset and beliefs that are holding them back from being able to run a business that's better than big and that it provides them with time freedom. So that's what this course is about is looking at the personal habits, the mindset shifts, how you operate in your business and where those things might be holding you back. Because as much as I would love to say, we just need to put great services in place or just this perfect systems and you will experience the time freedom. I also know that if you don't kind of clean up the way you operate in your business and your personal habits, you won't be able to experience the effects of those things. So we've talked about some of these things already, you know, like tendency to overthink. That's one of the lessons. There's a lesson on not just learning to seek help, but learning to receive help when it's offered. There's a lesson on perfectionism. There's a lesson on the belief that more is better. That's a big belief that holds people back and makes them overcomplicate their business. So I just recorded some short audio lessons, talking people through the belief or the habit that's problematic and giving them some examples of how my clients and I have used that and kind of dismantled it in our own businesses and then invited people to take a look at how that belief or habit might be showing up in their business and costing them truly valuable time. Yeah. I think it's really fascinating because it always comes back down to mindset. So you've been working with so many different types of service-based business owners. What do you think are some of the common mindset that stops them in their track? I think the biggest one is that more is better or that success needs to look a certain way. I think that people really start to collect certain beliefs about the way things have to be in their industry. And it's very, very hard. You know, it's a very deep rut that we dig ourselves in to see like there's a different way to do things. So most of my clients who are successful in creating a business that provides them with time freedom show up willing to say, hey, I tried some of these things that people told me would work and maybe they made me successful, but they're not working for me. So I am willing to explore ways to do things differently. And whether doing things differently looks like shifting their services to a totally different model or bringing on some support or finally investing in some systems and investing can be you know, time or money or shifting their personal habits. Like I think the thing that makes them most successful is there's a willingness there. They recognize the cost of doing business the way they're doing it. They want the time freedom. And so they're willing to show up and say, okay, let's do this differently. And what could that look like? And they're willing to be curious and explore solutions to find out what works for them. I think it's fascinating you talk about personal habits because I also work as an artist and I read a lot of books on that. So like, for example, Artist Way, or the morning pages, or even Tim Ferriss, he has this book called Two of Titans, which is where he interviewed tons of top producing athletes and entrepreneurs. And it all comes down to really strong personal habits that they do consistently to help them get out the mindset issue or just help them perform at a higher level. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what are some of the things that we need to look into when we're developing our personal habits? So I love the perspective that you're sharing, which is like personal habits that can support us achieving the things we want. I also look at the personal habits that are holding us back, like the things that we've done again and again and again, and that we've just kind of learned to operate in a certain way, like to not to keep going back to perfectionism, but like the perfectionism, if we've learned to operate as a perfectionist from a very early age and we keep showing up in business that way, it's really going to cost us. So I would look at both. Like what are the habits that I need to adopt in order to support the kind of business I want to run? And what are the habits I maybe need to let go of or stop doing to run the business I want to do? So I've already talked about a lot of the ones that you could stop doing. As far as the things that habits that would support the kind of business you want, I think it's so individualized. So one of the things I like to have my clients do when we are looking at the business they want to run and 
what time freedom looks like to them is identifying some of the things that like their core priorities and values. And I encourage people to do five, but we want to ask, what do we want to make space for? So for me, I know that my business can thrive if I'm taking care of my physical and mental health, if I'm getting time with my family, if I'm getting time outdoors, if I have time to be able to be unplugged. And so I want to look and make sure that my schedule every day and every week has space for those things. If it doesn't, then the business is going to suffer. But as long as I'm making sure that I have time to do meditation or go to therapy or go for a run, like my business will do really well. So I know what personal habits work for me to create the results I want in my business and the impact I want with my clients. And I think it's up to everybody to say, what are those things for me? I'm sure in that Tim Ferriss book, I'm sure there's lots of different variety in terms of what people do, but explore it and figure out what works for you. And then you have to give yourself permission to prioritize that thing in your business just as much as you would something else. And that's where I think the hard part is, is believing that for me, me going for a run is just as important to my business as a strategy that I might implement or me doing a daily meditation is just as important as networking and recognizing that those things do have an impact. And so then from there, you can prioritize them. Yeah, because I was reading, you know, the founder of Twitter and also now he owns Stripe, the payment processor, was it Jack Dorsey? And he was talking about he actively made sure that he has meditation built in into his business practice uh, every day as part of his daily routine. And it helps him be so focused that he can run two businesses concurrently. Yeah. And you have to know it works for you, right? So I think it's very easy for us to jump to like the self-care things like exercise and meditation and therapy. And, stuff. and I think all of those things are important and they all support my success. But if you also just need like a spacious day a week where you don't have any commitments and you get to do whatever you want and that's what serves you, also fine. If unwinding with a great Netflix show or a good book in the afternoon, if that's what works for you, awesome. Like I have one client who wanted more time freedom so that she could spend time in her hammock with a good book whenever she wanted to. And so we built her business to provide her with that. And what's interesting is that fuels her creativity, which fuels her business. Yeah. And I think one of the difficult part about establishing a habit is that sometimes maybe life gets in the way and things might drop off and then you feel guilty and then you feel behind. What are some of the things that we can really do to help us establish those positive habits in our business or in personal life as well? Yeah, I think you're so right that we think, especially for perfectionists, like that we can't miss a day. And so I think it's really important to say, if you do miss a day or if you slip up on a habit, then it's not like you failed. It's not like you're done. You just start again. If I miss meditation a couple of days in a row, it's not like I can't then revisit that habit and start again. And so I think that's the most important thing for people to realize. Like it's, you're not falling off the bandwagon of a personal habit. You just start again. And if it was hard for you to do and make work with your life, then maybe you start again in a little different way. You know, if, let's use meditation, for example. If you're trying to meditate every day for 30 minutes and you're having trouble making that happen, try 10 minutes and see if that serves you or try every other day and figure out a way to make it work for you. Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot, actually, because I use Duolingo, you know, the app to learn language. And I was learning French a few years ago, and I just pick it back up. And I've been doing it, I think, for 200 days straight. But there are days when I'm really tired or there's so much going on, I forgot to do it. And then Duolingo lets you cheat in a way. <laughs> you can buy this thing where it kind of lets you have a cheat day, so to speak. And if you forgot to do it, like maybe three hours before, they just keep sending you a reminder on the email. It's like, hey, do you want to practice some French today? Just take five minutes kind of thing. And I think that helps to foster and build that habit 
in a positive way. So you're not like beating yourself. Oh my God, I just lost my 200 days straight. But here and there, we can actually have some sort of space in terms of to be more compassionate about for us as well. Because I think we do that for other people. But when it comes to us, we're like beating ourselves up all the time. Yeah. Another one of my favorite questions is what am I making this mean? So if you're working on your personal habits and you're finding that you're not doing it perfectly or as much as you want to, you might ask that question, like, what am I making this mean? And it might be tapping into feelings of, you know, vulnerability or shame or not good enoughness. It may be that you're making it mean that you're a failure if you missed a day. And instead, like you said, practice a little more compassion, speak to yourself as you would somebody else in your business or, you know, one of your business colleagues and, and say, what if you just made it mean that you missed a day that you were busy with stuff and you quite honestly forgot and you made it mean that was an invitation to try again the next day. Yeah. And I also love the name of your podcast, Better Than Big. I think because the writing background, you're very good at pinpointing exactly what you tried to present. And I know in your podcast, you really try to build transparent conversation with other business owners who are committed to growing with intention, but not overwhelm. So what would you say are the common threads to successful business owner? Like what mindset shifts or strategies or solutions have they implemented to help them build a stronger and also sustainable business? Yeah, I think it's kind of going back to what we've been talking about with the really recognizing their version of success. Because the reason I did this podcast and the reason that I bring on the types of guests that I do is because I think there are not enough examples out there of people who are committed to growing with intention and not overwhelm and who are committed to saying, this is my definition of enough. Like this is my better than big business and it's checking all the boxes for me. And so I'm not going to hustle harder to make something else possible for me. I'm going to live and enjoy what I've created. That's why I created it was to give people examples so they can say, I'm not alone if I want something different from what's mainstream. And then they can hear those stories from people and see that the common thread really is that the people got comfortable with it. They got comfortable with the idea that they knew what enough meant to them and they were going to build a business to match that. And they weren't going to worry about all the other people's opinions and noise out there. And that is incredibly hard. Like it is very hard to stay in your lane when the mainstream message is anything but that, but it is worthwhile. You know, last year in my business, and I've shared this story on my podcast too, or maybe it's in an upcoming episode. Last year in my business, I decided I was going to set a goal to make the same revenue I had in the prior year, but with more ease, more spaciousness, less work, and less time spent working. And I've definitely achieved that. I've even grown a little past that revenue goal. But the win there is that I had the time freedom. And so I share that to show people that, you know, the mindset shift for me was, it's okay for me to not grow more this next year and to just focus on what's most important to me, which is more time freedom. Right. Because I do think growth comes in different shapes and sizes, right? We most likely focus it on the revenue. I think that's a very masculine way of building businesses, isn't it? And it's funny because now we have our office at WeWork and WeWork is all about like revenue driven, you know, how do we create and scale? And I think in a way it's very, it's very like, oh, we have to do this X, Y, and Z. And that's how really the mainstream society functions. But I, I do think maybe because I'm a female myself, I do think sometimes we do look at things a little bit more holistically. I remember in, I think, 2009, I applied for this business competition called Make My Million that was sponsored by American Express. And I was able to win in the micro category. And when I told a friend of mine, 
who's also a stager. And she was like, I've never wanted to build a million dollar business. And I was like, surprise. I was like, really? She's like, yeah, I just want to make enough money to support my family. And so I can hang out with my daughter. Like her daughter had special needs. And so her goal really is to have a business that's flexible enough. Not only she can be creative in helping people create a space to live and to sell, but also to really help her daughter to be an independent person. That's one of the goals that they're working on is to help her establish herself independently so that she can live on her own, you know, in college and all this stuff. And so her primary goal actually for her business is not really about driving the revenue. It's really actually just making enough that they can sustain themselves. Yeah, and she's not sacrificing growth. I think that that's the important piece of this message to kind of tap into is that she has defined what success looks like for her and built the business to match that. It's not like she's running a hobby business where she, you know, doesn't work very much. Like she's running, I assume, based on what you said, like a very like successful real business, but she's just chosen to stop growth at a place that still allows her to have these other things. And while I would love to say that like time and money don't sometimes compete, they do. And sometimes you have to make that choice between the trade-off of, I want to grow to the million dollar business and I want to run the sustainable business that serves my life. Sometimes you do have to make that choice and decide what's most important to you. And I love that example of your friend because she did. She said, this is enough to me. And if my definition of success is a business that also allows me to prioritize time with my daughter, then she's achieved that across the board. Yeah. And I also think that the conventional way of thinking what a business is supposed to look like is that you're a business owner that works full-time, right? But there's actually many successful business owners who works part-time. And they do feel like there's a stigma about talking about it in a way because people are like, oh my God, you're just a hobbyist. What are you doing running a business part-time? And I think is having the sense of who you really are and what you really want to be able to step back from that kind of judgment or bias towards people who are running their businesses part-time. Yeah. And I run my business part-time. So I'm definitely in that camp. And I used to run a full-time business before I was a mom. And before I transitioned to coaching, I worked a lot as a freelance food writer, like lots of time recipe testing, lots of time interviewing chefs, traveling around town. Like it was a lot of work. And switching to the part-time model, there was a little bit of inherent judgment for me of like, well, that's really lazy. And you could use those hours for more growth. And like, I could serve twice as many clients as I do now easily in my schedule by bumping up to a 40 hour week. But what I would miss out on is something I'm not willing to give up. You know, I'm not willing to give up Thursdays to have day dates with my partner and go out for a walk with a friend or whatever the reason is like, I need that spaciousness for me. And so I've decided that that's the most important thing to me. And so I'll keep the business growth where it is instead of increasing my capacity. Yeah. And ultimately, I think really as business owners, we have to hold a space to serve our clients. And it's kind of like that airplane example where you depend on your own oxygen mask first, right? You need to make sure you're strong enough that you can hold that space for yourself, but for your client. So I do think self-care is really important. And it's not really something we talk about until recent years that we really need to focus on our mental health as well so that we can hold a space for our employees, people we work with, and also the people that we serve. Yeah, and not necessarily self-care as we see it on Instagram of I'm going to the spa and I'm at the beach with my laptop lifestyle. It's more like self-care, I need a day to process through some difficult emotions or I need to make sure I get to therapy every week or I need to take care of my physical health. So I'm going to go get body work done every week and that's going to serve the business. Like, 
we don't necessarily make space for those things or have a conversation around them. And really that's why I love helping my clients at their time freedom goal and asking them what they want to use it for. And I have no judgment, but seeing what people want to do with it. Some people just want to garden. Like I said, the client who wants to sit in a hammock, like those are the things that serve their business and their mental health and their physical health. And then they have this really holistic view of what success looks like. And it's amazing. Yeah. And I also think intentionally blocking those time out also helps to streamline your operation as well. Because you know, every week, Thursday at four, you have to go to yoga. And so then you will stop taking appointments at two o'clock, for example, so that you can really focus on getting things done in a shorter time frame instead of just trying to let things happen as they go. Yeah. And this is why I like people to schedule their life stuff first, you know, to identify what those top five priorities are. And obviously one of them is going to be business for everybody listening here, but the other four schedule those first, see what hours are left in your calendar and then ask, how can I design the business to fit in these hours? That's where I figured out that I can work 20 to 25 hours a week and run my business. If I had done it the other way around and put, you know, nine to five every day working, I would have filled that time and I wouldn't have really figured out how to make it work in shorter timeframes and be able to live what I have now. Yeah. And so as we're coming to a close of our show today, what is the number one tip you give to our homestager listeners when it comes to doing less and live more in running their homestaging businesses? Yeah. So, I mean, as everybody's heard, I'm very much about taking that subtractive approach. And so the one invitation I often make to people is just identify one thing you can let go. It could be a personal habit. It could be a judgment you have about yourself that's costing you the time freedom. It could be something bigger. It could be a service. It could be a system that's not serving you. It could be a marketing strategy that's not really effective and you've just been holding onto it so tight. Like figure out one thing you can let go of because that is absolutely going to create spaciousness in your business and life. That's great. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This was a great conversation. So that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help and support the show, there are three ways to do so. You can leave a review and rating on iTunes. You can share the show on social media, or you can donate to support the maintaining costs for the podcast. You can make a donation through the show notes or on the sidebar of our site. If you haven't left a review on iTunes, please do so. This will help us grow the show and book more guests. If you have any questions, feedback, and suggestions, you can comment on the show notes. You can also find the show notes by going to stagemore.com slash podcast. That's it. Have a fantastic week and happy staging.